0: Welcome to
1: Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin. And welcome to this week's Mandalorian um, recap. Recap. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I realized as you started saying hello that I had prepared nothing <laughs> as far as the hello, welcome to the Mandalorian time with Caitlin and Charlotte. <laughs> So uh, welcome. <laughs> we are back from Thanksgiving. I hope if you're in the United States and celebrated Thanksgiving, you had a good time eating good food and hopefully with some good people too. Cheryl and I were both with our families and ate a lot of delicious food, but of course we had to... Take time to make sure that we watch The Mandalorian on Friday morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I had to stop in the middle of the episode because my mom needed help like putting away Thanksgiving dishes or something like that. And I was very frustrated, but <laughs> I still had to stop in the middle and go do that <laughs> with her and then help do some Christmas decorating. So it was kind of strange to have to truncate the episode into two pieces. And then my dad, <laughs> well, you guys know that my family are not Star Wars people, and my dad half like in the middle of the day just randomly from across the room. He goes, "Uh, hey, uh, Star Wars person." <laughs> Me. I look up from the manger scene that I'm setting up. "Yes?" <laughs> and he goes, "How's the the new um uh the star the tv show the um, the mandolin <laughs> mandolin <laughs> <laughs> i died laughing I go, the mandolin <laughs> he goes, oh, i don't i don't know it's <laughs> a mandalorian dad not a kitchen tool <laughs> So good. It was it was really funny, and if you knew my parents, you would... I'm sure Charlotte can uh, picture John Plusher very well saying the, in the mandolin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I totally can. <laughs> Did he have anything else to say?
0: No, that, that's it. That was literally it. <laughs>
1: That's and, the extent of the conversation. Yeah, that was the extent of the conversation.
0: <laughs> he was like, how is it? And I was like, "It's, it's... well, for one thing, again, Mandalorian, not a kitchen jewel. <laughs> and, uh, so then we all had a good laugh about that. And I was like, dad, a, Mandalor- a mandolin is something you use to make like scallop potatoes. <laughs> and uh, then I was like, it- it's good. It's really good. He was like, okay.
1: I bet your dad would like it, honestly. I was just thinking about that. I think he would like it.
0: Uh, yeah, he yeah, he'd have to get Disney Plus though, so. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which he does not have, so. <laughs> so that would be interesting. My brother-in-law started watching it though and he has enjoyed it. So we talked a little bit about that at Thanksgiving. So that was fun. I feel like everyone was talking about The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. I had a friend text me who she knows nothing about Star Wars. Isn't watching The Mandalorian. She texts me and goes, "So can you tell me what the deal is with Baby Yoda? <laughs> and she she is not on Twitter. She is not into like any other kind of franchise thing going on. So it is, we've been you and I have been talking about this a lot just how far the reach is of the Mandalorian.
1: It's huge and I really think it's the meme culture.
0: Yeah, it 100% is. It's
1: all about the memes.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. It's just I feel like everyone is talking about – I've had people at work start asking me about it. Me too. Me too. And then they're like, I've listened to your podcast. And I'm like, great.
1: i really like star wars I really,
0: I really like i think i've 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 like reached a good level at work now where a lot of people know about the show and um people now start bringing me star wars things oh that's nice <laughs> yeah that's a good perk yeah, yeah it's really great i had a friend um and he brought me he ordered this like pack of like 100 pop culture stickers and there was a darth vader one in it, and he was like, I know you like this, and so he brought me the Darth Vader sticker, which was great. And then one of my bosses, his son, uh, was is a big Star Wars fan too, and he had all these movie posters and stuff in his room that he got rid of. And he was, and my boss was like, "Oh, I thought you would like them, so I brought you them." And it's like these giant movie posters, and one of them is one of the, um, you know, one of it's. They're not from the seventies, I don't think, but it has the. Uh, A long time ago or this could all be happening in a galaxy far far away which is one of my favorite Star Wars posters so I'm really excited to put that up in front of me from where I'm recording but yeah now people just know that I like collect Star Wars things and that's my thing and now they bring them to me willingly (laughs) (laughs) that's so good Mm -hmm. I just have people recently they had the coach collection at uh, the Star
1: Wars coach collection and Caitlin and I both got something from there and like four days after you and I placed that like extremely frantic order <laughs> when the sale went live. Someone from work came over and was like, did you order? Did you know about the coach collection? And I was like, yeah, got a bag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Been there, done that. Or like the Le Creuset collection too. know, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I work in a test kitchen. So um, that's always on people's minds and it was in our Slack channel and everything. So it always comes up and I always get tagged. <laughs> I'm like, Yep. I like the Star War. (laughs)
0: Can the test kitchen get the Tatooine one? Can they get that on lockdown?
1: You know what? I was wondering that, too, but I don't think so.
0: Is it what, like nine that were made or something? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But imagine if you could see it IRL. I want to. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a my same friend who was asking me about Baby Yoda. She is always. She's a big Instagram person, and so she has started sending me anytime she sees like a funny Star Wars product or a like a high end Star Wars product too. Like she'll send it to me. She sent me the Coach stuff too, and I was like, Yeah, I already purchased. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so
1: nerdy to be on top of those kind of things. I be like, yeah, I already know.
0: No, I know. I've seen the not.
1: spec sheet before. Like <laughs> <laughs> been, been planning this for a while. It's not some trying. new thing that you, <laughs> you stumbled upon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when people send stuff and they're like, I I maybe you haven't seen this before. I'm like, yes, I've definitely seen it. Before. <laughs> and keep sending us stuff. Like if you're listening oh, and yeah. you're like, Oh
1: man, that was me. No, I love it. I think it's I just think it's funny how deep I am in this. And yeah. you too. I bet. She
0: did send me some like I don't know if they were crystal, but they were like, they looked like crystal glasses that had like death, the Death Star. Oh, I have those. Yeah. Which I hadn't <laughs> seen before. I hadn't seen before. I have them. They're in yeah. my cabinet. We okay. should have had them. We should have had some drinks. We from them. I was just there. You did not bring them up I know. at all. So. They're on
1: the top shelf that I can't reach.
0: Well, that's not a good place for them. I know. I know. Well, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, we are in the month of December. And I don't know if you know, but the Rise of Skywalker is fast approaching, looming ahead of us. I have more or less left Twitter. Charlotte is still on there, which makes me so nervous. <laughs> it's like the wild, wild west out there. You just see people dropping like flies. They're like, I'm out <laughs> <laughs> it's So
1: true. You announced that you were out this morning and like five other people followed and it was like, Oh God, it's happening.
0: <laughs> All these people were like, see you on the other side. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's, it's so funny. It's like anytime a new T V spot, like ten people be like, Okay, that's it. I can't be here anymore. <laughs> it really it really is. It's like people have been like oh twitter is starting to become a ghost <laughs> and it is just it's so it's so funny and also just so like nerve-wracking it's terrifying it's, it's terrifying. terrifying you know you know like our roadrunner imagery we've been running with literally all year of you yeah know, we're approaching the precipice we're at the precipice we're running on air now we're, we're free falling, falling we have we're free. Reached the free fall <laughs>
1: Uh, we, we promise we'll be talking about The Mandalorian in like two minutes, but Caitlin and I just before we recorded this sat down and just kind of planned out all the episodes that we wanted to record for the month of December, and it's a lot, and we were like, oh my god. <laughs> it's like, I got whiplash even talking about it. I was like, there's just so much. There's so much Star Wars, and I'm free-falling, and I'm going to see a spoiler somewhere, even though I have like... You know, deftly avoided everything. Like yeah, but Neo, she's, she's still on Twitter, guys. I'm still, I'm still there. I just, I, you know what? I need to up my mutes. We closed oh all of our DMs. Like, <laughs> so
0: like we're preparing <laughs> for the storm. I think in my, departure we're hunkering tweet, down. We're going straight into the bunker. <laughs> my departure tweet. I was like, I've got on private. I've closed my DMs. I'm getting off Twitter. I am hunkering down <laughs> for the storm. <laughs> as we free fall (laughs) yes as we continue to plunge further and further into the unknown Uh, (laughs) it's so much resistance, take your pick
1: (laughs) but that's the thing is that we're still getting these excellent Mandalorian episodes week after week and it Mm -hmm. is honestly one of the greatest gifts Star Wars has ever given us so (laughs) this episode was called Sanctuary we dropped the the, there's no the sanctuary it's just Sanctuary Me too. Me too. We're just going to blow right past it. <laughs> okay, cool, Let's go on. <laughs> it aired on November 29th on Black Friday and it was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, which is fantastic. We have another women director in Star Wars. So exciting and I do think it's fun that Ron Howard's daughter got to direct an episode. Star Wars is has a you know, a heavy tradition of keeping it in the family. We saw that even with George Lucas and his children. So it's it's fun to see it and I I don't think Bryce Dallas Howard has directed anything longer than a short film before, so this was also really fun to see her style, and I think that as we will talk about it, I think that you could kind of feel her like feminine energy throughout the entire episode, and mm-hmm. I really, really appreciated that, especially because that wasn't really felt that much in the past few episodes, but... I mean, not to say that the last episode didn't have that with Deborah Chow as the director, but I do think that it was like heavily felt in this episode um, on purpose. And I do think that that is because of Bryce Dallas Howard's uh, directing and her handling of these new characters that we were so kindly introduced to in this episode, which is very exciting.
0: Yeah, this was, um, we're definitely going to be talking about this a lot throughout the episode. This episode, Sanctuary, without the the, but we're blowing past it, um, was, (laughs) it was such a departure from where the series has been for the past three episodes, and somehow, also, we're at the midway point of (laughs) The Mandalorian Season 1, so welcome To that too, but this episode was so different in so many aspects, and I think it was great that this episode was Bryce Dallas Bryce Dallas Howard's episode because you're right, there was this much different energy. It was a feminine energy. We finally have women. (laughs) Episode. (laughs) They're all here. More women? Yeah, they were all here. This is where they went. Um, So (laughs) that was really great. I really enjoyed this episode. This has not been my favorite episode of the season, I will say. I still think Deborah Chow's is just like. By and large, my some of my favorite Star Wars that I've seen this year, and that episode just completely blew me out of the water. This episode, you and I were talking about it earlier, and for me, I think that this episode is really going to benefit from being seen within the series as a whole, whereas I think some of the hangups that I had with it personally are – a bit a product of it being released week to week. And I'm really interested to go back and see it once we have the full series. And it is a bit more bingeable with the eight episodes total, because it was such a departure. The visuals, the dialogue, the music, everything was starkly different from what we've seen in the previous three episodes. Some of those things I thought worked so incredibly well. Some of them didn't work as well for me, but again, that's just a personal opinion. But overall, I had a really good time with this episode. It definitely reminded me. I think a lot of people draw this parallel, but with the Andron arc in Clone Wars, and you know, teaching the local community how to fight, <laughs> and we see that in a lot of different stories and things like this, and this is no exception. But it is always nice when you have seen similar storylines in different situations, different political climates um, going on in different eras in. Star Wars. And the Onderon arc is one of my favorite arcs in the Clone Wars. So I really enjoyed having that set up here in the Mandalorian too. Yeah, it was so good.
1: And there's so much, there's so much to me about this episode to love. I think it when I was watching it on my tiny phone on Friday morning <laughs> in a hotel room, I I was like, wow, this really does feel different. And I agree with you. I don't think it's my favorite episode that we've seen so far. And I don't think that I was expecting it to be because of last episode was like, so good. And the stakes were just really high in that episode. There's a lot riding on it. And it really was the turning point for the Mandalorian and his, his character. And here we're kind of starting his journey. And because of that, I feel like it feels slower if the the stakes aren't as high. I think that... And I think that's okay. I agree with you that after we get a couple episodes to like bookend it, it might make a little bit... I don't know. It might make this transition feel a little bit softer than what we just saw, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it felt very much, It, like I said, it felt like an animated episode. Like with Rick's yes. episode, you know, that one was him getting back the pieces for the razor Crest, And he had these little missions, basically, that carried him through the episode. But it was all pretty much neatly tied up at the end. And that was the same for this episode, too. It was, okay, you know, we're here on this planet. We got the job teach the villagers have the fight now we leave Um, and it's I guess it kind of surprises me how the Mandalorian as a show is doing these kind of self-contained episodes I don't think I expected that and I think that has kind of thrown me off a little bit in watching the show and not that that's bad it's just it's unexpected I think I almost anticipated it playing more into the bigger picture story um, almost like a saga film like the way that we think about the saga film And because I can't do that yet with The Mandalorian, because we don't have the full season, I I feel like I'm still getting used to this being live action, but a TV show and not a movie within a saga where I already have six films. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how that
1: is. I agree with that. I didn't really expect it to have this, like, almost taken from the pages of an animated script. Mm Mm-hmm feel to it and how the episodes are all different lengths. Like I like that there's that freedom there of how long will it take for us to tell the story that we're trying to? Is it 29 minutes? Is, is it 40 minutes? Is it 35 minutes? Like there's no set parameter. I really like that. But I'm with you in that I don't think I expected it to be like a complete neat package in each episode. And it's something I'm actually really appreciating though about it is that I feel like each episode, I have this like clear takeaway of what the episode was structured to do, what it was doing thematically and how it relates to the overall like Star Wars saga as a whole. And like, what was it doing for the themes that we consider so like Star Warsian? Mm-hmm. I I feel like that's something that I'm struggling a little bit with resistance right now in the way that I'm just like, what are we doing? And like, what was this episode even for? And I'm not getting that with Mandalorian at all. I feel like I understand every single episode and and like what it is that we're doing for this character and how he is growing, how his relationship with baby Yoda is growing. All these different things are happening. And I feel like I have a clear takeaway. Like to me, an example of that is you brought up the whole Onderon, you know, teaching villagers how to fight thing. I think that Star Wars right now with books like Resistance Reborn. And I think the upcoming Rise of Skywalker, I mean, I don't know about how what it means to be a good leader and to like pass on what you know. And I think that that like was really exhibited in this episode in mm-hmm. that you can teach people like good people will fight if you lead them. Like that's that's going to be a major line I assume from Oscar Isaac's character and that is literally the plot line of Resistance Reborn and here we have it on like a micro scale in The Mandalorian. And it just kind of fits overall to me like symbolically um, throughout Star Wars,
0: yeah, it does. I I think I I, don't, I kind of agree with what you said about each episode being really clear cut about what the what the point is. And I think I think the Mandalorian benefits from like when we're comparing this, what was the point of the story between Resistance and Mandalorian? I think the Mandalorian definitely benefits because it's not tied to the saga films the way that Resistance is. Like Resistance was. Um, presented as, you know, seeing a spy in the Resistance join this um, platform in order to find a First Order spy. And, you know, Poe's in it, Leia's in it, and Kylo will be in it. And so that is very tied to the saga films. whereas the Mandalorian is very, very separate. And so I think it kind of benefits from that setup as far as that yeah. regards. Some of the character moments I'm still kind of struggling with, like with this episode in particular, the The energy of this episode, I absolutely loved. And like the look and feel of this episode, I thought was fantastic. The combat scenes, I watched like three times over. I think Cardoon is like the best person in the world. Um, <laughs> I loved her interactions with the Mandalorian. But like comparing the the Onderon arc for example and this episode of the Mandalorian like in the Onderon arc and you and I were talking about this beforehand I said I think it's interesting because the Onderon arc had a longer runtime overall like that story took place over three episodes so it it physically had more time than this episode did, and to me, the stakes felt higher in the Andoran arc than they did in this episode. And again, I think that is a product of the shows themselves. The Clone Wars was, of course, very tied to Anakin and the Republic and all of that, whereas this was a lot smaller scale. And so, I don't necessarily think that that is a bad comparison. Like, I don't, I don't think of that negatively when I look at the Mandalorian because this was very small scale for the planet, and I think that that is a good story to tell. But, like, in the Andron arc, it was a huge – like, that. why I love that arc is because it's a huge character growth moment for Ahsoka. She's learning a lot about herself, um, how she feels about looks, why she feels that way, her being a leader. It's a big moment because she's trusted to be in that situation by herself without Obi-Wan and Anakin. She loses a, a friend um, and someone who is really important to the community there in a big moment. That she was involved in. And that was like a really pivotal arc I feel like for her. I don't really feel that way about this episode for The Mandalorian. And again that might change once we have the season as a whole. But that's kind of where I wasn't sure what the point of this episode was. Like I get that it was to have this place of reprieve for The Mandalorian. But I don't exactly know if I know how he changed at all by the end of it.
1: I think that he thinks that he he now knows that he will have to protect the child. He can't just dump him somewhere. Not that he was doing that, but Mm -hmm. I think he realizes that it's not some kind of burden that he can kind of load off for a better life for him, but that he has this responsibility to protect him from now on. I mean, I agree with you. I think the stakes are really high in that arc, and it's a good comparison. But I also think that when... The the target was on Baby Yoda. I was like, oh my god, (laughs) is this really going to happen? I was I was actually terrified. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh no, because I can actually see Star Wars kind of ending on a cliff cliffhanger of like maybe Baby Yoda like sedated. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. But like, I I think that the stakes were really high then, and I think that the Mandalorian recognized that, um, and was like, yeah, I can't put. Um, the village in danger I can't put the child in danger um, it's my duty to protect the asset even if um, it's no longer an asset <laughs> yeah. right
0: yeah the stakes were definitely super high in that moment but that was like so unrelated to the rest of the episode like that only yeah. comes in at the end but I agree like that I was I was actually like are they gonna are they gonna shoot baby Yoda or then I thought <laughs> that maybe oh, um, um, Amara Amara is that her name? Yes. O- 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 O'Mara? I almost thought that she yeah. might get shot too. I was really worried for her throughout this episode as well. I was too. Um, I was too. And I was like, oh my God, is the Mandalorian going to have two kids at the end of it? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> He's just like truly a starting Ryan, a family
1: <laughs> of foundlings. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
0: Um, so I, yeah, I I totally agree that, that, that by the end of the episode, the Mandalorian is like, okay, this isn't just a – like, I am in this for a long time. This was not mm-hmm. – I thought this could be an easy solution, but it's not. Um, but that felt very unrelated to – like, that wasn't even – the the tracker who came at the end, that wasn't someone from the clan that they had just, like, fought against, you know, in, like, a moment of revenge. Or, I don't know. I don't know. But it felt very separate. And um, that's not bad necessarily, but that was kind of my – not hang up. I don't know. It's just kind of things I've been thinking about, and it's making me really excited to go back and see this episode within the context of the whole season. This
1: episode to me kind of did an interesting thing about how – I don't know. I kind of view this episode as kind of like an extended metaphor for the Mandalorian re- realizing that he like might need some allies later in the future, which kind of goes to your point about like it might be interesting to think about uh, – like how this episode fits in in the grand grand scheme of things, um, not necessarily this village, but perhaps they could come in later. I'm not sure, but like understanding that he actually can't really do this alone, um, that he'll need people like Kara and um, Omera or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's kind of interesting where you know, protect the village is kind of really similar to protect the child. Like they're both things like the villagers can't leave their village and the Mandalorian at the end of this episode can't leave Yoda either. The baby Yoda. Like they make such a clear fuss about not wanting to leave their village, which they've had for generations, which does make me think of some of the things that we think about how like the empire and like oppressive forces take away things that were like kind of cultural artifacts or like heritage sites. And I think that maybe this village is almost like a similar thing to like a heritage site. Like it's been in their family for generations. They, you know, etc. cetera. Um, but I do think that there's like this definite link of protect the village, protect the child, can't leave the village, can't leave the child. And how do you go through that? Like we have to fight the battle. Um, and you have to do it as a group and you have to learn how to do it. And, Um, And that's kind of what I mean about how I think that the theme of the episode is kind of clear, because I think that an audience member can kind of subliminally make those connections. Mm -hmm. Even like the idea of like it takes a village kind of comes to mind (laughs) about like raising a child and like keeping, you know, uh, being a good caretaker. And like what better place to demonstrate that than in this village of you know, so much life, like, so many children. Like, there's so much children in So episode. much children. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, how many times have we seen... When else have we seen kids this much in Star Wars? Like, I can't really remember That's a time. You know?
0: True. But, but still, you know, it's a little different. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. But, yeah, it was, like, seeing them playing and being kids. Yeah. It was, like, so
1: soft. I keep thinking about what uh, Gina Carano said about... um when Bryce and her were kind of talking about her character, Kara, and everything, and how there was this gentleness. And I think that I felt that gentleness throughout this entire episode. And I think that goes into what we were saying about how, like, this episode feels so feminine. And I think it's done so well because you have, you have, like, such, like, great contrasting female presences. You have Kara on one end who's, like, such a badass and, like, Hard And really like straight to the point tells exactly what the Mandalorian um what tells tells the Mandalorian exactly what she has been doing for the past couple of years that she wasn't interested in politics like that she wasn't really interested in any of like the messy stuff of rebuilding she just wanted to really be like the sharpshooter who goes in takes out the enemy and then leaves. And I really I thought that was great. But then on the other end you have Omera who is soft and wants to get behind the mask of um the Mandalorian. And man do I ship that <laughs> so much. And I just think that you have like these these two sides of women that are I that are so different But also so powerful. And I really liked the way that Bryce Dallas Howard was able to demonstrate that. Yeah,
0: I loved seeing the two of them interact with the Mandalorian. And I think it's cool how he kind of treats them both the same, like the way that he talks to them. It's different because their conversations are... Obviously different. Like with Kara, he's discussing, you know, strategy and um come help me with this, this thing for this village, that kind of thing. But with Omera, he I don't know, I I the Mandalorian talked so much in this episode. He talked more in this episode than he has in the entire series. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, so I, think- I knew we were, i knew we were in for a treat when he was like what do you say little know, like, or something in the beginning i was like wow he's talking to baby yoda like he's really out here talking. conversing <laughs> he's really out here yeah. me,
0: looking at him out there speaking <laughs> i think i had seen on the on the razor crest when he started talking i was like this is more than he said all of last episode and we're only in the first five minutes." <laughs> It was the cutest thing It was thing very ever. cute. That kind of stuff is strange to me, though, because I'm like, he just talks so much in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we just got to get yeah, used to Yeah, I guess so. But I'm like, are we going to not hear from him next episode now that he's back, like, by himself? I don't know. I was just like, whoa. Um, just, like, a lot of, a lot from The Mandalorian. Literally, a lot of dialogue. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think Bryce Dallas Howard did a great job of kind of juxtaposition juxtaposing O'Mara and Kara and how they both like have this uh relationship to the Mandalorian and it's different but they're both on like level playing field um and he treats them the same and he talks to them that's the thing that I like about the Mandalorian is that he is a very like if you've listened to our past episodes you've heard me kind of talk about how I'm kind of struggling to get to know the Mandalorian because of things like, one, he doesn't talk a lot. And that's something I'm getting used to as an audience. And two, he can be very sarcastic, but also very um, stern. But I think in this episode, I kind of realized that he, one, is very straightforward, which I think a lot of us have realized. But he's also just a very perceptive person and a good people reader. And it seems like he kind of instantly knows the people that he gravitates towards and that he trusts. And by and large, those tend to be people that the audience views as quote unquote, good. like the way he talks to grief is very different than the way he talks to Kara. And I think as an audience member, we know to be a little bit hesitant of grief where we don't necessarily get that vibe from Kara. I think, I think Kara could go in that direction. I don't think she will, but it would be like a betrayal moment with Kara if she were to go in a grief kind of direction. Whereas I didn't feel that way about grief. It was kind of expected for him to be in it for himself. Whereas Kara is a little bit different. So the reaction from the Mandalorian would be different in that situation. So I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I enjoyed hearing from the Mandalorian this episode. I would like to hear from him more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I agree. I loved Kara's introduction. I loved their little fight. Um, so good. I like how it ended with you want some it's soup. So good. <laughs> so good. I was like, yeah, yes. It was so Simbanala to me. I'm not sure if I'm I'm shipping Kara and the Mandalorian, but I, I think in some way I am. But I was really so moved by Omera in this episode that that kind of took a backseat. But I think eventually I might still. So you just I never know.
0: But people fighting and reaching for each other <laughs> at one point, we will ship them probably,
1: right? And that was the sh- that was the shot that I saw in like one of the sh- trailers or something they showed at Celebration when they were like touching hands, and I was like, oh wow, wow, I'm here for this. I've been saying this for a while. Like I've been shipping them since I saw that yeah. scene. And then I'm also like, when I saw the shot of Omera like holding uh, the Mandalorian's helmet, I was like, wow. That's emotional. And sure enough, it really was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was. I didn't. Yeah, I was surprised that I felt no shipper vibes (laughs) for Kara and the Mandalorian. You're not alone. I feel like a lot of people, which usually I'm the one who's like, I'm going to ship anything and everything that comes on screen. Uh, (laughs) But I really wasn't really feeling that. And it's probably because Omera just was like, You're going to love me (laughs) for the ship. And I was like, You know what? You're right. (laughs) I yeah <laughs> yeah I thought Kara's introduction was really great. I think it's still unclear if we if it's confirmed that they know each other. I think they do from before. I feel like they've known each other a long time, but it's not. I swear I read that. Yeah, I don't think the episode does a good job of confirming that because if he knew who she was immediately. Like he asks the bartender how long she's been there, rather than going up to her or motioning to her. I don't. I don't know. That was kind of weird to me because um, she clearly sees him sitting there talking to the bartender with a child, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then she comes over after their fight and they're you know everything is fine. I don't know. I think it that, that it's still a little murky. I'm okay with that murkiness though. I'm okay waiting to get that story.
1: I am too. I am too. But I the second time I watched the episode. I was a little bit more attuned to her conversation right away with Mandalorian, which I thought was very fast. And I can see people who are still unfamiliar with the timeline. Like, my mom thought this the show took place, like, 100 years before The Phantom Menace. <laughs> and I think there... And she was like, there are people who think that, Charlotte. Like, it's not that really? weird. And I was like, yeah, I know. And I was like, well, I guess there's no... Like, what's the coding that tells us... I don't I guess the the dialogue and all this stuff, but... I think that sometimes I find myself like, oh, maybe I'm just like so in the Star Wars world that I don't think twice about that because I've known that it's, it takes place here for so long. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where now she knows that and she's like, oh, it makes total sense. Like, yes. But I think that, that my, my point is the explanation of what Kara did after Endor might fly over a lot of the audience, some audience members' heads who are still kind of confused about the timeline or like don't even really care about the timeline. Yeah. And I think that, which I think is totally fair because I think the Mandalorian is supposed to act as a show that you can, can kind of be your gateway into star Wars. If you haven't even really explored, you know, all, everything the movies have to offer. And John Favreau and Dave have both said that, that you can watch this by, ha- by also not having any prior knowledge. And sometimes when I stop and think about that, I'm like, yeah, but can you, because words like that, like, endor and new republic and stuff like that like what do they mean but maybe they just mean nothing anyway <laughs> <laughs> i don't know
0: do you know what i mean are value if you give it to them
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just got really meta but yeah. you know what i mean where i'm I, I thought that explanation was really fast to the point where i rewound it mm. So even by the context of that, I'm still unsure if they knew each other before that time period of what Cara was doing for the rebellion at that time or what. I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that they had a a deeper past, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we didn't.
0: It's just it's kind of strange to me Their All their conversations about... I, I enjoyed their conversations, but I also was super confused in the vein of how they how and if they know each other because if she knows him, she recognizes his helmet, his armor, I don't know, his fighting style. The kid probably threw her off, so <laughs> she didn't recognize him immediately. Um but then the way they fight was really great. But then he um she doesn't know that like the consequences of taking off your helmet as Mandalorian, like at the end, she's like, "That's it. You can just not put it back on. Like that's the that's the price. Like okay, whatever, just do it." You know. So she doesn't know about that, but she also doesn't. She also doesn't ask about it the way that Omera does. And I think I had assumed that that's because she already knew. Um, she didn't need to, like, approach the Mandalorian about that because since she knows him already, she already – like, they've already had that conversation, basically. But at the end of the episode, it's clear she doesn't. He doesn't tell her they've been there for weeks and she doesn't ask where the kid come from <laughs> or that he has a tracker or anything like that, you know. So I don't know. I think it, I think it was a little confusing Um, exactly what they're – what their relationship is, how long they may or may not have known each other or why immediately the Mandalorian was like, yeah, Kara is someone that I can trust. I also think it's hilarious. He calls her Kara. (laughs) This is going to be a running thing. It is. (laughs) I just think of poor Gina Carano like, it's Kara, not Kara at the press conference.
1: (laughs) Everyone is saying it wrong.
0: (laughs) And I just really appreciate her going for it. This is not a Han-Han situation. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think it's going to be, going, even if she doesn't it's want it really to. She's really
0: trying hard though. And and Gina, you don't have to worry here on Sky Talkers. We know that her name is Kara. We know. We know. We're we're aware. <laughs> yeah. But I loved her so much. I thought she I loved her fighting style. I loved hearing her fight. I felt like mm-hmm. they put an emphasis on hearing her like grunts and moans and like uh you know, while she was fighting, I really enjoyed that um there's this move I loved in the beginning where they're having their first brawl, the Mandalorian and cara and he goes to get his flamethrower and she's like, I don't think so oh my just, God like, steps on his
1: steps on his wrist yeah, <laughs> like so ridiculous.
0: Good. just like, don't even <laughs> and there's another so good. move in that fight where she like brings him down and he like lands on his shoulder like, but his head, I don't know how to describe it. It just looked really painful. <laughs> <laughs> but I her stepping on the flamethrower was hilarious to me because he's gotten so many people with that flamethrower <laughs> this season. <laughs> and she was like not having it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was great. The
0: one thing there if there's one thing I could change about Kara, I almost wish her we're gonna talk about this in a little bit, but the like the colors blue and green were really predominant in this episode. And Uh, When I first saw her, her outfit being blue tinged, it almost made me think that she came from that place because everyone else is wearing blue and so is she. But she clearly doesn't. And I wasn't sure if maybe she had gotten this blue outfit while she was there. I don't know. But when I first saw her after we had that cold open with O'Mara's community and and the village and everything is blue there, and then we saw her in similar hues – i i first thought oh maybe she's from here um so i kind of wish that she had had a different look or a different color maybe but that's like such a nitpicky thing but i will say that it it did um it did give me pause in the beginning and i thought that maybe she was from uh that planet too
1: yeah i didn't really think about that side note i really like her her outfit i have a couple side notes can i just rattle through them yeah go first that I think the village itself reminded me of a Ralph McQuarrie concept art mm-hmm. I can't place it in my head and I tried to do some googling but the best I can come up with what it reminded me of was um the early concepts for the Wookiee village and yeah. like Kashyyyk and the way that the the buildings were um it really reminded me of that and I obviously I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh inspired by that and it I could be also thinking of concept art for Endor, but that didn't really yield as much results as I wanted. I really need a Ralph McQuarrie book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Um, Also, I was wondering if the name Winta um, for the little girl was like a subtle callback to Leia's half-sister in Legends, Winter. Which I always thought was a really interesting character that kind of made her way into fanfic sometimes Mm -hmm. um, as like an interesting foil to Leia. So um, I don't know if that really meant anything, but the name stood out to me enough that I wanted to comment on it.
0: Yeah, that would be really interesting. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if Dave did that, honestly. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's my last side note. okay. I thought you were like, I'm going (laughs) to rattle off some side notes. Yeah, I know.
1: In my head, I had like five, but
0: I didn't. They're gone now. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, I think an important thing to discuss in this episode is how we had a live action (laughs) Lothcat. Very important. (laughs) So important. I squealed when I saw it. I did too. I paused. (laughs) Me too. I was like, yes. (laughs)
1: And I think it's really funny because I've seen some people be like, oh, my God, that thing is terrifying. And while I agree, I also think that that thing looks like what the Lothcat looks like in Galaxy's Edge, which I really appreciate. Because I think that there's that good link there is when you translate something into live action that's strictly animation, it's going to look weird because things are stylized in Rebels. But I would argue that the one in Galaxy's Edge looks kind of weird. So therefore, this one also kind of looks weird. (laughs) So, and it was, it was scary. It was a scary moment. I loved
0: it. <laughs> Me, so too. Me too. I was so excited. And I'm hoping maybe we'll see more. I think it's, I think, I think it's a CGI cat. I don't think there, it actually was yes. there. Um, But I hope we get to see more of them, especially next week's episode is a Dave episode. So I'm hoping we get to see more. But the concept art at the end, oh my God, chef's kiss. <laughs> so
1: cute. I love that that. That, that was concepted it wasn't like a last minute thing at all it was a no we need to have a lothcat in here somewhere <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what would that look like
0: i have my white lothcat with me right now he's he's recording with us but yeah, yeah i was very excited to see him there and the the concept art was super cute with his big ears and he's just looking at baby yoda oh my gosh <laughs>
1: so good st- really truly chef's guest
0: <laughs> yes amazing um but the baby the baby yoda content if we can just take a moment to talk about how cute he is uh he was super cute <laughs> this episode.
1: content's at an all-time high yeah <laughs> <laughs> i have to say from pushing the buttons in the in the ship in the beginning They really like, truly dare to be cute. How many (laughs) times did they really have to push the button like twice? They could have done it once and it would have been, you know, it would have sufficed. But no, (laughs) they did it. They did a whole little play. It was
0: great. (laughs) It was so good. And when he, (laughs) Vandalorian's like, stay there. I'm like, that's not going to happen. And then (laughs) he just appears on the gangplank. I'm also like, how fast does he move? Because sometimes he meanders so slowly. (laughs) And sometimes he's speedy. just like appeared there. (laughs) (laughs) I I
1: like the idea that the Mandalorian can't see out of the helmet. So therefore, (laughs) he like didn't realize that the child was right behind him this entire time until he turned back to close the door
0: (laughs) it's it's so funny it's so funny and i'm always like is he gonna trip over his robes like his little (laughs) outfit i think he is is i think he is is going to at some point um i loved how all the kids loved him i adored when he started eating the frog and all of them were like ew and he just kind of spits it out
1: It was kind of a meta moment because we've, I think that that moment has been kind of memed also to death of, you know, baby Yoda eating the the frog from episode two. And I, I don't know, I liked that. I, I was like, is this character development? No, right? It's just funny. <laughs> no.
0: no, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, I feel like we also got a lot of good moments too. Of I like how Bryce spent some quiet moments, just focusing on Baby Yoda, and like him seeing everything else. Like when he is asleep, like getting ready to fall asleep in the cart. Um, not, in, we still don't have a new baby cart <laughs> for Baby Yoda, but but we did get a crib. We did get a crib, like a wickered crib. It was it was so, so cute. great. <laughs> But when they're going – when they initially go and pick up Kara in the beginning after the two villagers come and get the Mandalorian, and they're, like, in the back of that, uh, like, cart or whatever, that hovercraft type of cart, and he's just, like, looking up at the stars and stuff. And then at the end when they're pulling away and he's looking back at all the villagers, and it's, like, it's this really pretty scene, but it's also – I don't know. I just really liked having that moment to focus in on him because we've had some episodes where – We've gotten to see kind of things from his perspective, especially episode two.
1: So another super cute thing was when uh, the Mandalorian ordered him soup, bone
0: broth. Bone broth.
1: It was like the cutest thing ever. And then he was just sipping the soup outside. And it's so (laughs) memeable for sure. But like everything about that was just adorable. The fact that you have dad Mandalorian ordering food for his son. (laughs) Just, like, the whole concept was just so – they didn't have to do that.
0: Like, they just didn't have to. (laughs) They didn't have to feed the child.
1: No. They didn't have to have a scene of, like, Baby Yoda eating in a restaurant. But, like, they did. (laughs) And here he is on, like, a high chair.
0: It was so (laughs) cute. It was a
1: chair especially made for him. Like, are you kidding me? Are you
0: kidding me? He had a (laughs) booster seat, basically. Yes. It's too much. It really is. It really is. Okay. So let's move on to talking a little bit more about the story itself and kind of the look and feel of this episode because I think that was kind of – Maybe one of our favorite things about the it was for me, the look and feel of this episode was definitely my favorite part of it. I thought it was really great. And for me, the thing that I noticed most was the color blue. I feel like that really stood out. It's obviously the center of the commerce for the village. Um, it's those fish that they pull, that they fish for, that give them, I would imagine, Krill. that, that cu- Krill. Yeah. The the dye for them to dye all of their clothes blue and things like that. And clearly it's a valuable resource. And you and I actually earlier this year at the very beginning of this year, we did an episode called lightsaber color theory where we discussed the meanings of colors in relation to lightsabers and to the various people that use them. But it meant that we were doing a lot of, we did a lot of research on like actual color theory. And it started because I had read this article called 200 Years of Blue, which discussed how like the emotions of certain colors. It was a really interesting article, um, but they talked a lot about the color blue, obviously. And I was thinking a lot about that episode and that article when watching uh, Sanctuary from the Mandalorian, because for me, and it was interesting because you. Said Said that green stood out to you more in this episode, which we'll talk about green too in a minute. But for me, blue really stood out, and kind of going back and looking at our show notes from that episode, our lightsaber color theory episode, um, I really liked applying some of the thoughts about the color blue to this episode. And um, the article, like I said, was called 200 Years of Blue. We'll try to link it in the show notes. But it they referred to blue as the most symphonic of the colors, which I thought was really great. And one of the quotes that I really loved about the color that I felt applied really well to this episode was from an author called Rebecca Solnit in her book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost. And she said, quote, the blue of distance comes with time with the discovery of melancholy of loss, the texture of long longing, of the complexity of the terrain we traverse, and with the years of travel. If sorrow and beauty are all tied up together, then perhaps maturity brings with it not abstraction, but an aesthetic sense that partially redeems the loss time brings and fades beauty in the far away and for me i felt like this really worked well for this episode because we talked about there being a really feminine energy to this episode and it's it's very lush it's very soft um but there's also and it's called sanctuary too so it's a safe place and i felt that this episode really played well into the idea of this being a sanctuary a place of reprieve um this kind of ideal world for the Mandalorian and for Baby Yoda. And Kara says so much in the end, she's like, take off the helmet, you know, settle down with that beautiful widow, raise your kids, sip, splot, whatever that drink was called (laughs) (laughs) on the porch, and like live this beautiful idyllic life like that. This can be yours. Um, And I think you kind of get the vibe that the Mandalorian could want that. And maybe to a certain degree does, but he knows it's not for him. And the parts of this quote, like the blue of distance, um, the discovery of melancholy, the texture of longing for me, this episode had that texture of longing because it was something that is so close, but just out of reach. And it's, for me, it kind of culminates in that moment at the end where the Mandalorian takes Omera's hands off his helmet. And he says. You know, I don't belong here. Um, and I feel like you kind of get that longing though in his voice that maybe he could. And I just, I, I really, I'm really attracted to that quote. And I, I think it applies really well for Star Wars. But in this episode in particular, it is kind of this setup of this great what if and the fact mm-hmm. that Blue was just kind of all over it. Because I think Blue, Can be a very melancholic color, but also there's another quote too um, from Kandinsky from 1910 where he writes, um, the power of profound meaning is found in blue and first in its physical movements of retreat from the spectator of turning in upon its own center the inclination of blue to depth is so strong that its inner appeal is stronger when its shade is deeper. Blue is the typical heavenly color. The ultimate feeling it creates is one of rest, supernatural rest, not the earthly contentment of green. The way to the supernatural lies through the supernatural. And I think that quote too, just like it all kind of works really well with this episode and what I think this episode is trying to get across as far as this, this kind of represents a what if and um, I don't know. I, I really I really liked having kind of this predominant color. It reminded me of how we treated red in the last Jedi. Um, I like anytime we have kind of a visual theme that we can pull on.
1: Yeah, I think that when you said that the episode is very blue, I was kind of surprised because to me the episode is more green than blue but I think you're right because they, all the costumes and clothing and down to the fish like you were talking about it was all blue very blue when when you said that I couldn't not notice it but <laughs> I do think that like the general feeling I got from this episode was more green than blue and I think that was just because I was really focused on the the lush earthy tones that we got in this episode versus an earthy meaning more green rather than like dust and desert that we've gotten in the past so I think that was A really um, interesting uh, visual change that we got. I mean, to kind of go to your point of blue, I think that the episode even starts kind of underwater and uh, kind of in this like microscopic version of uh, focused on the krill creatures, which was a really interesting open, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's like nothing I'd seen in Star Wars before. I was like, (laughs) Midi (laughs) Chlorians? Mood. I I feel like. I am so with you about the color blue, but I do think that as we talk about blue and green both being very present in this episode, um, into your point about longing and like the representation of what it could be, both these colors are the embodiment of the good guys in Star Wars, especially with lightsaber mm-hmm. colors. So I do think that there's like there's definitely this lifelike vibe that you get when you have these colors so predominant. And it's interesting when we talk about blue, especially with The Rise of Skywalker coming up. I feel like I can't not mention this. Everything that we see, it like it's like J.J. put like a blue filter over every single shot. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that's really interesting. And it's definitely something that we're going to be talking about with the movie if the movie actually ends up being so tinted blue like the trailers and TV spots have been
0: yeah everything so much so much coming out from Tross has been like jewel toned, and the blue in particular is very it's a supernatural like jewel toned blue um it's almost it's almost like the lightsaber color blue just expand it I don't know it's it's kind of crazy to think about um but yeah, I think that, I think the green, you're right when you have been like, no, green is the color of the episode. Like, no, it's, it's blue. <laughs> and then like you, I think that the green, like the green, you're so right about there being like going from like desert, desert, desert. And then suddenly it was like desert, desert, desert space. And now we're suddenly on this like very lush planet with this very um, like populated place too. And yeah. It, it definitely it it worked really well so I think there was this great symphony of the blue and green um and then like that quote from Kandinsky that i read it talks about um supernatural rest is the color blue not the earthly contentment of green but they go mm-hmm. together um i like i like how he describes the earthly contentment of green like there is mm-hmm. this peach there is this connection to nature and so much of that is the color green because that's what we're used to seeing. And green of the earth is very relaxing and peaceful too. And then the blue is kind of on this other level. And so it's interesting that we have It's interesting that these were the colors that were selected. Not so much the green because like going to a lush planet, it's probably going to be green. But the blue and like how they work together. I don't know. I think like visually it was a real treat to come to this planet after being in these very barren places. And you're right. It kind of makes sense that he comes here to this sanctuary. And then at the end of it, he realizes that one, this isn't. Where he gets to stay and it's not where baby Yoda gets to stay either, but I don't know. It kind of like refreshed him like he was there for a long time <laughs> um, and it's going to carry him through like maybe it gives him the piece of like a goal almost. Like if I could get to something like that in my life, maybe this is what I could want in the future, living in a place like this, which is so peaceful and relaxing. Because he definitely, even though he has the armor on, obviously, throughout the whole episode, except for that one scene, he does seem so much more relaxed and like his posture and things like that.
1: Because this episode is so idealistic and really does like everything you've been saying kind of represent something that he could attain but can't right now. I would not be surprised if he, at the very end, when the Mandalorian is over in the last episode of the series, and if he comes back to this village and is there with Omera. That's um so great. I, I, I could totally see that happening. And that would be kind of a Dave Filoni thing to do, to kind of seed back something that we saw in the very beginning. <sighs> yeah.
0: I want that part <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I know. I know. me forever I just want our characters to be happy I know and it's like it's I did get
1: uh, uh, back to what I was saying in the beginning like this episode to me felt so Star Warsy, and just because it was like our characters can never have that like live with your kids in your happy life moment like that never happens it never happens in any of the relationships that you see so of course it wasn't going to happen here in episode four of the mandalorian (laughs) but like i do think it's it's just so idealistic and it in a way it plays on those emotions as a star wars fan of like wow i've never gotten that before (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is very Star Star Wars. There was this other quote too that we read in the previous in the lightsaber color theory episode that I think is just like so Star Wars and really gets in on what you were just saying. And it's also from Rebecca Solnit, her book A Field Guide to Getting Lost. And this one just like hits me in the gut, you know. It just like really gets (laughs) me, and uh, really makes me think about Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) Um, So she wrote, quote. Somewhere in this is the mystery of why tragedies are more beautiful than comedies and why we take a huge pleasure in the sadness of certain songs and stories. Something is always far away, end quote. And I just – that last little bit of something is always far away. And that's what what this episode is too. Like what you were saying, it's like getting this glimpse of this idyllic life but knowing like, whoa, we don't really get this a lot in Star Wars because Star Wars – is tragedy (laughs) and you know it's not you're right like it's episode four like we're ridiculous to think that that could even be an option (laughs) not that i think we did but like it's not like we're not there yet we're not at the end of the mandalorian story and so if he could like finally come back to that point that would be so beautiful or if he has this new idyllic lifestyle um Or like point of peace that he could come to at the end. But he's not there yet because we are in the beginning and all of that is so far away. What he's reaching for. I don't even think he really knows what he's reaching for right now. But it is so far away. And like taking off his helmet in front of something else, that is also far away. For him, it's kind of like a that's never going to happen. But I think as the audience, we know that that will happen one day probably within this series. It's just a matter of what the situation is and who he's with. so I don't know. I just, I think that quote is really lovely and like very melancholic too. <laughs> um, I totally agree. I think that it it really goes well with, with this episode in particular. You had written down that there's kind of this Bayou vibe a little bit about when
1: those two travelers come to uh, visit the Mandalorian and the Razorcrest and ask for help and everything. And they take back this kind of like hovercraft and they're kind of gliding through this kind of swampy land that. Felt very um, felt very Disneyland to me. Like mm-hmm. very, <laughs> it felt very dreamlike. And I think it was supposed to. You get that sense of, I loved, I really did love that scene of Ma- the Mandalorian and Kara in the back of that little cart. And they're just kind of talking and it's, yeah. you know, it's late at night and baby Yoda's there listening. And you mentioned this before, he's looking up at the sky and everything, but you do get this sense of like, uh, there's something about this episode that is so comfortable. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Honestly, why? But like, it seems like this, that we're just kind of cozy, where I totally understood the vibe. It was like sitting by a fire, kind of swapping stories, getting to know what they were in for and everything. And they're in the back of this, basically like a pickup truck, right? And yeah. kind of talking about what they're going towards. And I just really, I really loved that. I loved that scene. I loved like the conversations and it just felt so cozy to me.
0: Yeah, the like the the whole look of it just worked so well. Like you said like kind of going into this dream sequence almost. And I don't know if I would describe the episode as dreamlike, but it does have this like like the bayou where you have like the boat on the water that's like very softly gliding through the night and it, it even has like a lamp on it that looks like mm-hmm. something out of like like New Orleans almost like it, it reminded me yes. of a lot of like Princess and the Frog whenever they're on the river.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why I <laughs> mentioned Disneyland cuz it's like yeah. New Orleans Square and like exactly. parts of the Caribbean and yeah. Bayou, that restaurant if anyone's familiar with that. It was all like the you know twinkly little lights, like fireflies, all those kind of things.
0: Yeah, it was it's something I we've never I don't know what other. Like Degaba is obviously a swamp, but it's very different. Um Degaba Degaba is more dreamlike, I think Than this planet but this one does have such a a different feel that was really nice to see in Star Wars and just kind of coupling it with like it felt very down to earth Um, it felt very familiar in a really good way because I think we're used to seeing like familiar Star Wars in the form of like desert planets and cool ships like th- we say that that feels like star wars because we have 40 years of star wars that has similar stories but this felt very like familiar with our world too and like mm-hmm. even the way that the village is set up like with the the fields it's very reminiscent of like rice fields and things like that and the way that it's terraced and planted out and you know the villagers saying that we've we've seeded this land for generations like you see that a lot like people return to the same places they stay in the same areas because of like their ancestors and who've come before them and that's that's very common and it just like it felt so grounded and it felt like I don't know I felt like I could really walk into that area and know what to do or or what to expect um and that I don't know it was it was really comforting i I like the way that you described it um it was really it's supposed to be yeah and it it worked (laughs) because this is supposed to like be a place, and even that like we haven't really even talked about the action of this episode which i thought was fantastic um but it was this place where the mandalorian like felt this reprieve for a spell until it couldn't be one anymore and there is kind of that sadness there but we know that hopefully he'll get there at one point with baby yoda Mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of the planet, the planet is called, I th- I believe, Sorgan. And I haven't really looked that up on um Wikipedia or anything like that or in the database. But I think it was the first time we've heard the planet name, right? Like we ha- in in the Mandalorian, it's been pretty noticeable that we don't know the names of like the towns or the planets or anything like that. It was pretty interesting to hear that in the beginning. And my brain immediately went to this Chinese movie I don't know if, if anyone's listening is familiar with this and I don't even know if it is a, is a link, but I thought I'd mention it. Um, there's a movie called red sorghum, um, by Zhang Emo. Um, which is about a woman's life it, as like a peasant in sorghum fields in China. And the the fields are like often ravaged by pirates and vandals and all these things and the village and um, the fields themselves are always threatened. And I was like, I, I thought it was a really interesting connection given the fact that the, the planet is named and it was like almost too similar to ignore and the like tension of that film, which I do recommend, but it's a very intense movie, so just be aware. And it's it's really a fantastic Chinese film. I don't think there, I don't know if there's a direct connection, but like I thought, it was kind of interesting that not the the plot line, at least in the loosest detail, is kind of similar about a village in a field that had been in generations of family being threatened, um, and what to do about that
0: yeah it feels like it has to be a connection, <laughs> right? <I> mean,
1: <laughs> I'm just like I'm kind of selling myself a little short here, but i uh, I feel like it has there has to be a connection. It's a really famous movie, and it was one of the ones I took a Chinese film class in college, and it was one of the ones that really stuck with me because of it's very violent, but it's ooh, this director was so good, and this movie was no exception and I feel like maybe with John and Dave being like massive Asian film fans that maybe this kind of cr- crossed their desk in some way, but,
0: had to mention it. I'm sure it is. This movie is from the what, 1988, I think, is when it came out, or in the 80s. And yeah, which yeah. I feel like would have been right around that perfect time for them <laughs> growing up. Yeah, you know. So i I would be really surprised if it wasn't a connection. Um And the fact that they do take time to mention that the planet or the village wherever they are is called Sorghum. Sorghum. It's it's so on the nose. I can't imagine it's not connected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be raising some question marks if it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you sent me the film and I'm definitely interested in checking it out. Um, because I haven't seen it before. And yeah, I read the uh, synopsis on Wikipedia and it's it sounded really good. So hopefully I can check that out soon too. I was, I really loved all the action in this episode. I loved seeing Kara and the Mandalorian fight. I loved Kara at the end of the episode when she goes after the walker and she's in the water and she like shoots it in the eye. I was so surprised too. I literally gasped when the walker stopped in front of the pond, like in front of the field where they were supposed to trip him up. It was very jarring. I was like, oh, shoot. Because I think like No, it was,
1: it was spooky. It was spooky. It was
0: really spooky. Because you're tracking with this episode, and and like we talked about, it does feel very uh like compact and, and you're like, oh, okay, they like dug the hole, and that's gonna be the thing that literally trips up the the enemy, and you're expecting it to happen, and then it doesn't <laughs> like at all. The thing steps back in a very lifelike manner, and it was very alarming. Um, but I thought the I thought the action was really great in this episode. I loved seeing the villagers do stuff um i thought it was like a little cheesy doing the like okay move one move two move three but i still i i like i liked seeing cara being in charge of the operation i liked the mandalorian putting her in charge of it of being like no she's a shark shoot shock shooter and sh- shock trooper Shock trooper. You know, honestly, I don't know. I I thought it was a sharp trooper, but I think we've been
1: corrected before. We have. It's just not sure, guys.
0: It's shock something. (laughs) She was in the rebellion, and she did a good job. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I. The thing I liked, too, about this episode is how it kind of seeded these things about, like, commerce and, like, small planets. And also, we got that – we discussed it earlier, but a little bit about Kara talking about the end of the Rebellion and how they were sent to uh, planets on, like, super secret missions in order to get rid of outlying Imperial bases and stuff like that. I think she says like, with no support. But then later on, it became about protecting delegates as they're forming the New Republic. And that wasn't really for her. But then also I liked how they discussed, you know, how the heck did this Imperial Walker get here? <laughs> and, you know, it mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of that the, you know, the theme within The Last Jedi of who's profiting from war. And I thought it I thought it was just a, a nice tie-in to have, you know, we're five years after the end of the of the empire and now and we've seen this in other pieces of Star Wars about things on the black market and antiquities too, but weapons are also a part of that as well. And, um, you know, you're seeing this Walker somehow find its way all the way to this backwater planet. And how did it get there? Who bought it? I don't know. I I liked having that kind of detail in there that kind of made me think a little bit more about what was going on.
1: Yeah. Clearly it was kind of all battered and used a lot. So Like, I think that like we saw with the stormtroopers in the first few episodes and their armor is like so bad, so dirty. Um, This walker was no different to me. It was kind of beaten. It looked like it had been slightly modified. And I think that's what we're getting nowadays, like five years post-Empire. But not Empire Strikes Back, but five years (laughs) post-Empire, literal (laughs) Empire, Imperial rule. (laughs) empire and <laughs> that's funny
0: because after I, I, every mandalorian episode it's like would you you might be interested in watching the empire strikes back so true <laughs>
1: <laughs> after every single one it's disney like plus, you know what
0: i am <laughs> disney plus has its own ranking and empire strikes back is their number one <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> so, so funny <laughs> i think that you're right and that it's fun to think about how those got into whose hands, and if that's going to be something that's greater explored, which I think it will be.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the last things I think we wanted to talk about with this episode is the timeline. This was something that really kind of threw me off. Is at the end, the Mandalorian is casually like, "Well, weeks ago, and we did this big thing.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: we really caused some trouble." And I'm sitting there going, "Weeks." <laughs> <laughs> I know. By and the 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 passage of time is something that is kind of continually tripping me up in this episode. In Rick's episode, we have this kind of trippy flash through a couple of days of them fixing the razor crest, whereas here it's verbalized by them. And we also don't know how much time they spent training the villagers. Cause I think a fair amount of time passed there as well Um, but we weren't really clued in to that and i thought it was more successful in this episode than in rick's episode but i'm not really sure that it worked for me because i don't know it i mentioned earlier how car hasn't at all asked about the kid it kind of (laughs) bothers me that the mandalorian hasn't even thought about what to do with these trackers because he knows the kid has a tracker somewhere. I'm like, you're telling me, but well, he questioned it in the last episode heavily. Yeah, but we've done. No- he's done nothing about it. Exactly. He's been exactly. Here for weeks. <laughs> yeah. You and yeah, I are. am no, with you. You and I are like inside Baby Yoda. Like, is he going to have to like undergo Baby Yoda surgery? Like, how are we going to get this out? Mandalorian does not care. <laughs> right. And then also the-, the thing that trips me up too is that they've been there for you know. Upwards of a month, probably longer, and no one has given this kid a name or a nickname or anything. I think it's so funny.
1: I mean, we don't know that because of the passage of time.
0: I know, but, like, no one, like, I don't know. I'm saying that's a negative. Like, I, I
1: I don't appreciate the, like, a few weeks back line either. I just... I don't know if I thought that was necessary or not, but maybe it'll become necessary later when the series ends with him going back to O'Mara. And then it's like, Oh, they didn't have just like a wild, like three days together, but instead they had like a month together, which makes it a little bit more plausible. But I do think that it felt really fast. And I was like, Whoa, 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 slow down. Like, do, do we actually need to have that? I don't really see why.
0: Yeah, I don't know. And this is the only tracker that's followed them out this far. Right,
1: right, right. Given the fact that the last scene on this episode, if you guys watch that, that plays before it, which I do now, because like Game of Thrones, it kind of is a key indicator for what's going to happen in the next episode. They're like, how many trackers? And they're like, so many trackers. (laughs) So many trackers. They said it twice.
0: And I was like, like, who did you give trackers to? And Grief goes, everyone.
1: (laughs) But then he goes, Everyone everyone. Like twice. So, all right. (laughs) Everyone has a tracker. So I really do think that that's... (laughs) Right. But only one guy tracks them there. So I feel like this is really going to be the major plot, but I need answers. I need answers uh, to the tracking thing. And I have no doubt that we're going to get them because we've already gotten answers about the helmet thing. Like that whole thing was all cleared up. Last week, I was like, I have logistical questions (laughs) about never taking off the helmet. This time we see him take off the helmet. We don't see his face, but we see him eating in front of an open window raises a lot of questions, (laughs) but but regardless, like even Omera like comments about, do you want me to like set you a plate inside or something, which I thought was an interesting move. Like they're all aware that like he takes off his helmet to eat separately from everyone else. Anyway, the whole point is that like they completely answer that question within one episode of Confusion. And I do think that the question of the the fobs, just because it's come up every single time, will be answered. How is it tracked? Like, all these things need to be figured out by the Mandalorian, and I'm interested to see how it happens. I have seen people on Twitter speculate that it's, like, in in his blood rather than, a, like, a microchip, mm. like we, I had said last time, which I think makes more sense. But it's definitely way harder to, how is he going to track down all those fobs? What's going to happen? It's a lot.
0: While you were talking about O'Mara and the helmet, I, oh my God. Imagine if this, like if we really want to take this to like a mythic level with like the helmet situation, Cupid and Psyche, that myth where it's like she can't see Cupid, like he's hidden from her. And then when she finally goes and looks at him that's when she loses him, man, because I, right. I, I was thinking, I was like, okay, so does he sleep with it? Um, if, like, he's by himself and, like, everyone knows that when he goes in, like, that's when he takes off his helmet. It's, like, this very ritualistic thing. But if she, like, had fallen in love with him or, or was even just curious and, like, went in in the middle of the night or something like that to see him without his helmet, I don't know, like, seeing the Mandalorian unarmed, man, it would be so good. would be mm-hmm. so dramatic. So romantic. <laughs> It really would. It <laughs> I want that. Yeah, I'm like, wow. Can we immediately come back to Sorgen so we can have this whole plot line play out? Because <laughs> I'm very invested yeah. in that.
1: <laughs> I just have this feeling that we're going to come back here.
0: I hope so. I really give
1: it everything that was laid.
0: I I hope so. I really liked. Um, I really liked the feel and the setup of this place. Like, I felt like I knew it really well so i Mm -hmm. would definitely like to come back here and yeah i think i'm curious to see so my big question now because i do feel like this episode didn't do a a ton in terms of characterization for the mandalorian i am interested about where we're going next or rather that this episode like where it fits in in the bigger picture story i'm not quite sure Mm -hmm. yet um so I'm really curious about where we're going next, and and I feel like you and I this whole time have been like the trackers, the trackers. But the mandalorians <laughs> has not been about the trackers. Like
1: I know we're st- we're more concerned about the trackers than I the mandalorians. You spent
0: like two months just on this planet, <laughs> not at all concerned about the trackers. But you and I for like seven hours at this point have been like, man, those are a lot of trackers.
1: If it wasn't for Kara. You know, baby Yoda would be
0: dead. He would be. Thank God for Kara.
1: Yeah, seriously. And I'm just like, I'm waiting. I think that I was surprised that they split up at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. Me too. But I don't think we're going to have to wait too long to see them come back together again. Like, until our paths cross. I loved that line. It also felt very Star Wars Mm -hmm. to me. I think their paths will cross soon. We still haven't seen the Giancarlo Esposito character Um, I keep going back and rewatching the trailer because I'm like, what else do we have next and (laughs) what's coming up? And um, it's funny that I keep doing that, I think, because I'm like, I I keep forgetting and I'm like, oh, there's so many cool things that are happening. And I wonder what's going to happen with him. And if he's going to bring a whole group of troops, I don't know, to get Baby Yoda. I think that what we're about to circle around back to why does the ex Imperials want Baby Yoda and why was this so... Like, uh, why was this asset so valuable for such a small package? You know,
0: (laughs) every time. Yes, partner. It's so funny.
1: I think we're going to circle around back to that question because I think that the world is captivated by everything Baby Yoda that. We need answers. We're demanding answers.
0: <laughs> we're out here demanding what's going on with the trackers, how does the Mandalorian eat, and give us more Baby Yoda. And so far, they've delivered well, on two out of the three. <laughs> yes, which is great. Great yes, for episode four. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I am interested about where we're going next. I kind of think that the Mandalorian might take Baby Yoda to the foundlings, wherever that is. I think maybe – that could be like his next idea is to take the baby there Um yeah. Because he speaks about it with such reverence. I thought it was interesting that when he is talking to Omera, he says, you know, the Mandalorians took me in, implying that perhaps he wasn't a Mandalorian as a child and he became one, which I thought is an interesting development. And kind of plays into my theory that the Mandalorian might not be a Mandalorian by the time we finish this series. Like, that's not what he ties mm-hmm. his identity to anymore. Uh, so it just kind of fed that train of thought for me. So I kind of think that maybe that's where we're going to next. But in the process, maybe we'll be fighting off more trackers. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think that there's potentially an interesting parallel happening with the Mandalorian and maybe the Rise of Skywalker in that the Mandalorian is going to have to rethink what it means to be a Mandalorian. We've already seen things kind of questioned about the helmet and um, whether or not his like his jobs agree with like the Mandalorians altogether, like what's gonna happen with the tribe and now they're relocating and potentially restarting. And I think that there's this this like maybe interesting parallel about the Mandalorian having to rethink what being a Mandalorian is and if it isn't what he has known in the past, but like has to change in the future. And I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting in, in light of understanding what, what the Jedi future is with The Rise of Skywalker. I think that we all think that there's a future for the Jedi, but it has to look different than it has in the past. And I wonder if something similar is going to happen with the Mandalorian.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely will. And I think this goes a lot into our conversation about him belonging more with Baby Yoda by the end of this. Yes. Um, and maybe whoever else ends up with him for the bulk of this journey. Maybe it is just Baby Yoda. Or maybe it is someone like Kara or even a character we haven't been introduced to yet. But I think, the, I think we're definitely going to learn a lot more about what happened to the Mandalorians. What exactly the foundlings are. So that's why I kind of think maybe he'll try to... Like the Mandalorian has emphasized so much about giving back to the foundlings. That I could see him maybe trying to give baby Yoda to the foundlings as a way to keep him safe. I'd be interested to see what the Mandalorian's response to that is because that kind of brings us back to the high noon movie that we talked about last week, the week before where the officer, the sheriff in the town is who spent his whole life protecting the town is rejected by the town in his time of need. So I wonder if Mm -hmm. we'll get another parallel there. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for next week's episode. We get another Dave episode. So I'll, I'm really looking forward to that one just to see You know, kind of picking – see if we can pick up more of Dave's style in live action directing. Yes, I'm so excited. And hopefully there'll be more Lothcats.
1: Please. Please. (laughs) Never stop.
0: (laughs) Never stop. Never stop. Okay, well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's episode about The Mandalorian covering the episode Sanctuary with Notha. But again, we're gliding past it. <laughs> um, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we're not really on Twitter all too much anymore. Charlotte is for the time being, but I am more or less <laughs> gone unless you want to talk about Asian dramas, in which case I will be on Twitter. <laughs> you can talk to me about that. Um, but uh, you can find us at Sky Pod. Our Twitters are at Caitlin Plusher is mine and Charlotte's is at Clarity. And uh, we are also on our website, skytalkers.com. We have an Instagram, Facebook. Facebook page whatever you want you can find us and if you haven't left a review for the show yet on itunes it would be a lovely present to us if you wanted to do that and we would really appreciate it and if you're interested in supporting us in other ways you can also check out our patreon too yes and i want to say a huge thank you
1: to our amazing patrons joey jason fiorella Marty, Spencer, Kathy, Gee, Jenna, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Shelbo, James, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Sheree, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Swara, Bradley, Matt, Eaton, Garrett, Debo, Irina, Edith, Jacqueline. Rachel, Lady Vader, John, Kevin, Ian, Raz, Lakshana, Candice, Ewan, Tom, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Jalia, Matthew, Captain Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron. Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Bell, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Santara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady, Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed, Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumparoo, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Isabel, Camille, Amy, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabers Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world.
0: Yes. Thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you.
1: May the force be with you.